This might be the best episode we've ever recorded. Um, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the overlap. It is day three of my personal celebrations. Uh, of course, uh, n- nothing major in my personal life happened. It's just my personal celebration, of course, that my mental health has been re- regained, or at least the side of my mental health that I place on a sport and a team that I have actual negligible control over um yet i put my weight soul and heart behind them and uh rian is basically here serving as my pseudo therapist i don't even pay him he just likes to talk while i talk for like an hour every week or twice a week so yeah it's pretty pretty good gig for the most part yeah yeah it's not bad (laughs) at all so with that, I mean, of course, I'm talking about El Clasico, but Rian, we haven't even recorded in like, I don't know, a week, eight yeah. days, something like that. We've had some ups and downs, some traveling, some festivities. Rian decided to leave me this weekend. Um, I texted Rian, a couple of our friends, and I was like, hey, you guys want to do something on Saturday? No. Do you even want to watch the Clasico together on Sunday? And uh, I got an emphatic No. Uh, because we were not be in the city so do you have anything to say for yourself or are you just gonna sit there and <laughs> look all smug <laughs> i'm i'm um i'm only sad that i wasn't here to to watch real madrid like uh, 11 men um plus an older <laughs> man um shit their pants on <laughs> for like 90 minutes um yeah, to be fair, I, I'll give you credit before you even get into the other stuff. You did watch part of the game back in its entirety. So I have to give you some credit there because uh, I, I know I know we both have our thoughts. But yeah, although we can watch the first watch half, together. I watched the yeah. first half and, and actually I watched the first half up until I think and then second half up until the parts that I actually did get to watch of that game, which was. I think after the fourth goal, I, I started watching after the fourth goal. Like once I got off the uh, plane was probably like, so the boring parts. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I only got, saw the replays of the goals when they were showing them when there was nothing really else to talk about in the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's fair. That's super fair. Well, at least tell me this, how was your trip? It sounds like it was good. It sounds like you got to hang out with different people, go out to different places. Did you eat deep dish pizza that's the that's the one thing didn't do that and didn't um get to go to the bean well at least i personally didn't everyone else did but wow I, I, <laughs> <laughs> so you went to a city be- where the two staples are those it was, two things it was because my i left on an earlier flight on sunday so that's why i missed the bean and then the deep dish pizza yeah didn't get to do that there's i mean but, honestly it's not that redeeming but so. i did see the green the river about a week after it was originally green so it was kind <laughs> of like a dollar green sorts like I don't, I don't know um i don't know how, how you would classify the green but um a murky tower yeah murky yeah yeah actually that's probably about the right way to put it murky <laughs> green um but no it was it was cool chicago was fun um love it it was the the, the weather was just about what i expected uh, and then i left the day that I left was like the best day weather was. So that was tough. <laughs> no, of course it was. Of course it was because why wouldn't it be? So <laughs> that's lovely. Well, you know how my weekend went. So that's, <laughs> that's, that's about it. Um, do we want to, do we want to start in La Liga? Do we want to? Yeah, we, I guess we might as well. <laughs> I, I, for I the record, I'm excited. I'm very excited. I didn't even mention this at the top, but. Um, I don't know if anyone can tell, but <laughs> this is the first day. There's a reason why we didn't record this on Monday or Tuesday. It's because I didn't have a voice <laughs> after this game. <laughs> um, and so this is my first full day with a voice back. So if I sound raspy, blame the entirety of Catalonia. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 why would you not be? Why would you not be? Um, <laughs> <laughs> like co- losing your breath and... Um, probably like i don't know i'm surprised that you didn't like accidentally hurt someone in your celebration so oh well actually it came close i'll say that there was a (laughs) lot of banging on tables screaming at walls um 
Oh, it, oh we came walls. close. <laughs> yes, yes. And uh, many, many, many words in both Spanish and English um, that were that were said that I don't believe I can repeat. So, <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Uh, Alice, yeah, I know, I know. We're, I want to talk there. about it. I feel like a, I feel like a kid post Christmas that wants to tell everybody what kind of gifts he got. As as Elias is is not so subtly alluding to, um, <laughs> want to talk about Barcelona's four nil win. Yeah, baby. But their first win in two years is it five five, five years? No, two years, uh, five games, um, five losses in a row, six without a win. Yeah, you know it, it was. Right after what the Super Classico semifinal, right where they played actually really well against Real Madrid and lost, of course. But after that game is when you kind of started seeing the, I guess, confidence in the team go up. Um, that was, I think, after that game is when like a lot of Barcelona players were pretty satisfied with the performance and 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 took something from it i think it was was it pk that was really encouraged by it afterwards yeah he actually i mean he came out and said um although we lost we're closer to winning yeah right? which is like a bizarre thing to say about a classico and your arch rival it's like oh we almost won like but there but there's an element of truth in that yeah and and from there really from that point on Barcelona have been really good <laughs> like, as a team, and they've kind of kept that performance level uh, pr- pretty consistent since then. And we've seen them go and beat Atletico Madrid. What was it four two? And after that, I was saying that like that's got to be the best win in like two years, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. And then if we come to this, and it's got to be yeah, literally the best win in two years at by at least yeah. right for the team and um. I don't know, at least like what in terms of just how tough the last two years have been, uh, just not not just for classical games, but like <laughs> it, 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 but you know, everything with the club. Um, I don't know where where does this win, uh, and specifically this classical, where does it kind of rank in like recent memory for, for you? God, you know, I think back to in the last maybe 15 or so years, 20 years most memorable classical performances. You can go back to Ronaldinho at the Bernabeu um, against Sergio Ramos. You can go back to Messi at 19, scoring a hat trick to, to tie it for a 10-man Barcelona. You can also point to Pep's 5-0 win against Mourinho, right, in November of, of, I believe, 2011. And in terms of Barcelona wins, the more recent one, um, 4-0 away at the Bernabeu, in 20 November of 2015 the thing that's different i think about all of those games that i just mentioned versus this one is that this was much more unexpected i think you can point to the last few major classico wins for barcelona and say okay that barcelona like those barcelona sides were pretty good like pep's barcelona pretty good um even a barcelona with messi pretty good right those were all teams that you would say okay <laughs> this is a team that you can almost expect to win. This was so much more than an expectation. This was like beyond anyone's wildest dream because in reality, it could have been like seven nil <laughs> like that. They really could have been a lot more. So yeah. it just, it feels different because no one really knew this was coming. Are you sure? no one <laughs> are are you are you gonna play into no one, like my reverse jinx <laughs> no one knew this was no i'm gonna i'm saying last week i said it i said that this bet yeah. they would win the game and you yeah. were very skeptical <laughs> <laughs> even, even though i mean just about everything performances in the last like few weeks i i, I know i do remember saying that both teams are going in in good form fair but without a certain player being in the lineup for Real Madrid and without Karen Benzema being in the lineup and with how well Barcelona had been playing over the last month and a half. Yeah. I I, I didn't think it was that unexpected. 
Look, well, I'm not okay. going to tell you. It, maybe, Again, maybe the I win. didn't expect. I didn't expect Real Madrid to also like, you know, pitch blade hit themselves. themselves. <laughs> hit themselves. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. literally shit on the pitch. But, um, I, I'm not surprised at how well uh, Barcelona played in this game and how at times like effortless um, a lot of the team play was and a lot of that had to do with whatever Real Madrid was trying to do pressing whatever (laughs) you would call that just completely disjointed without Karen Benzema Um, at least I texted you during that game like or not during the game after I'd watched I think the first half replay was that uh, Luke de Jong, or not Luke, oh my gosh. Oh no. <laughs> Frankie de Jong. Um, Frankie de Jong will probably like never, never been in that much space in his life and probably will never have that much space on a pitch ever again. Um, that was like, that was like the most interesting thing to me from whatever Real Madrid were trying to do. They just kept leaving that whole like right side, like right half space like just yeah. completely unguarded and Frankie de Jong just kept going and standing there and, and and Barcelona knew they could get that pass every single time at least in the first half I know Madrid did some weird changes in the in the second half where they went to a back three for a second and then immediately retreated away from <laughs> immediately <it's>... regretted it <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah I was, it was just really poor <laughs> like just how poor um Madrid were in that in just the defensive side but from Barcelona's side you know yeah this was like uh, this is a statement win a a second statement win in like five weeks if you include uh the win against Atletico Madrid but it feels like this team is looking comfortably the second best team in the league at worst right yeah yeah I, I I would agree with that and Maybe I'll take a step back and go back to what you're saying about Frankie de Jong, the way the Barcelona came out, the way they played, and and I'll briefly comment on Real Madrid. But I want to have a broader conversation about the context for this game and the context in which Barcelona are playing. I think one of the things that we forget about the way that Pep's Barcelona played and, and the magic that was 2008-2012 is that there were a lot of elements of that style of play outside of quote-unquote tiki-taka that were very direct and very vertical and I think there's a lot of what you saw in verticality and directness come out in this game think about how each one of these goals were scored right the first goal is an outlet ball to Dembele that's crossing to Aubameyang the second is off of a set piece the third is again a ball over the top to Aubameyang right like these are these are all very direct actions they're not passes around you know, the, the final third that all of a sudden you find a space in and it's squared. Like that's not, that's not what this game was about. And the reason I want to have a broader conversation about identity is because you brought up something really, really important in terms of how Xavi and his team are finding space on the pitch, how they're accelerating the ball even more. And I agree. One of the most fascinating things was how much space Frankie de Jong. And for me, Dembele also found an enormous amount of space and the reason being is Ancelotti screwed this team over from the st- from an hour before this game started. I saw that lineup and went, well, that's concerning because he made a pretty fatal mistake from the beginning, which was starting four midfielders. And it's not that he started four midfielders and played them in a four, four, two. He started four midfielders in a high block with Luka Modric and Tony Kroos playing as your farthest your players that are farthest forward now i think we can both say that those two players are not your fastest players and your best players to press especially against a center back like eric garcia and a defensive midfielder like busquets who can very easily bypass that weak pressure reason i bring that up is because behind luka modric and tony kroos (laughs) were a combination of casemiro and fede valverde Fede Valverde was made to look like a clown, but not because I think he's a bad player, although I do. He was made to look like a clown because, no, but listen, like seriously, this is important because all of a sudden any ball that was played into Busquets automatically became against, uh, became a 3v2 
between Frankie de Jong, Pedri, and Busquets, and Casemiro and Valverde. So when you think about it, yeah, no wonder Frankie de Jong, Pedri, and Dembele had so much space is because they were easily overpowered by like what some terrible formation of a of a press and leaving Dembele one-on-one against Nacho is just like watching war crimes being committed on, on a pitch. So <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was terrible. For, to start. It was a really tough day for, for Nacho and really not his fault. <laughs> like not, not, not really that much of his fault. Um, but yeah, it was, it was really weird. They, uh, Inshallah just completely vacated the middle of the, <laughs> the like middle <laughs> of his attack. It was really weird. The amount of times that the ball was played to um, Vinicius or Rodrigo, um, and they're just running up the wing, and there's no one there for them to pass the ball to afterwards. Like there's not, there's nothing there. I, I I felt like for a lot of the first half, Modric, Modric like didn't like didn't even try to play the false nine. They, he just literally he, when they had the ball, just played midfield. And then I think like as we got closer to the end of the half, and definitely in the second half, he tried to actually be further up. But um, it was it was so disjointed in the beginning when they had the ball. And then, yeah, as you said, they, they pressed terribly. It was really weird. It was just really weird to watch. Yeah. Um, but Barcelona punished them. That, like, that's the that's really the. All you can expect if the team's playing well and if, if, the, if you think the team is good enough, like they will just punish those. Um, those errors that that. Real Madrid had from just a complete like system failure. So it, it's really interesting to see how direct I love how direct they, they play. Um it is very it's it's really different to Pep Guardiola's teams. Like in it in it in just in that very face. Like look, the build-up is still very much a lot of the same principles, but um in terms of like the movement and and the willingness to play balls in behind um it seems like that's that this team plays even different like differently than manchester city like they they play very differently oh yeah right and it's really interesting to me because Ferran torres i'm like i don't see why pep couldn't have just done this same thing with him and just have him make more runs in behind like you know just just playing that way but but i think you could probably put part of that on well pep didn't have Obama Yang like like a central a, a central focus, striker right a central focus that that pulls attention away from Ferran Torres at, at times you know when he drops in deep um you do see Ferran Torres make the run in behind as you saw for the the third goal or the right. fourth the fourth goal I think I, I can't oh you like, lost track of how many goals I, oh, same. I, I, <laughs> uh I, I mean it was it was really fun to watch and props to Aubameyang, who's at seven goals in seven games in La Liga. He's been great. I think it's hilarious that he he said that he expected himself to start so well. Just yeah, just really <laughs> funny. Um, and props to Usman Dembele, who's now in a very interesting situation <laughs> here. Um, went from not playing at all because of his contract situation to playing and the fans whistled him at first yeah. when he came back um, to now playing arguably the best he has played since moving to Barcelona um, and really kind of being allowed to play very naturally, like to, to his natural playing style. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I think this partially goes back to what I was alluding to with this broader identity conversation. Like Chavi is, very much identified how to use Ferran Torres and Dembele and, and their skill set, right? Ferran Torres is excellent at creating space, finding space, and being kind of an out-to-in type of player. Usman Dembele is very good isolated. I get one-on-one against anybody. And you saw that in this game. And there's a reason why he's racked up as many assists, two additional assists, and he's up to nine now, <laughs> basically since the turn of the se- the turn of the year, and that's largely because Xavi has allowed for basically the midfield to clear out space for Usman Dembele on the wing, and 
you're right. He is in a very, very interesting position because if you remember a couple of months ago, Matteo Alemani, Alemani, I think that's how you say his last name. Um, he is basically the CEO of Barcelona came out and said, well, because Dembele and his agents haven't gotten back to us, we assume that they're kind of talking with other clubs. And I mean, at that point, probably fair to say that that was the case, but I, I don't know if that's the case, right? Like, I, I don't know if he's actually talking with other clubs. I don't know what his agents are thinking. And if I'm Usman Dembele, I'm I'm looking at it this way. Like, yes, some other club in Europe might offer me more money, <clears throat> PSG. But where else is it going to get better than right now? Like, for him. For, forget about even the rest of the team. Like, for him, where else is he going to be, get, like, taking care of the way that he is being taken care of right now? Because it's clear that the mentality of this team has changed. Just the competitiveness of the team has changed. Everything is much more positive. You might have to take a pay cut. Yeah, you probably will have to take a pay cut. But for your overall performance as a player, I, I, I think he's in a really, really interesting position. Honestly, I have no idea how this turns out. I, I really don't. It, it's hard to argue that there's a better situation for him out there. Um, like, you, there's no no place where it could be potentially a better or as good situation is willing to like pay the money it'll take to sign him <laughs> so like and when i talk about that i think about i think about uh manchester city bayern maybe chelsea only because of the two goal part of it but again all three clubs that i don't think would shell out the money for him to, to come and and 100 and be like worth the money and worth the potential well well the, obviously the downside risk of his injuries and or upsetting the um like current players on their team as is in terms of you know someone else coming in and being you know, a competition and someone's going to be expected to start most of the games if he comes to your team so yeah um yeah, I, it's hard to think about a better situation for him right now. Um, I hope he stays. I, I, I will throw out another team that could potentially pay him the money um, and not be necessarily a great fit. But Can I guess before we say lot. it? Yeah. United? <laughs> no, no. I, I don't think even they would. I, I agree with. I, I mean, I, I don't think they would. But who, who um, are you thinking of? Newcastle. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> That's I, I feel like it's like the, those between Newcastle and like PSG are like really the only places that would pay him the money that he wants and yeah and pretty much leave him alone <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> and let him do whatever he wants. Yeah, so yeah, basically exactly, the, exactly. the Neymar saga all over again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you're maybe you're not wrong, but I mean, we're also talking about a player who hasn't started more than 20 games for Barcelona in a season and yeah. more, no more than 22 games in his career in a season. So it, there's a lot of risk in this. I, I don't know what's going to happen. My gut, if I had to guess, I say that he does stay. Um, Cause I think deep down, he probably doesn't want to stay, but I don't know. Uh, yeah. Rian, what else is there to talk about with this, this classico? So many narratives. Um, I don't even know if we have time. I mean, look, the, the lineup was, freaking weird was really weird from from Ancelotti obviously like um I was wondering why Luka Jovic didn't start um you would have any striker up there that's not Diaz who's just who who runs a lot he runs a lot that's for sure um that he's got that going for him but no Luka Jovic was weird um and I thought that he was like injured too like separate of the Luka Jovic stuff, Eden Hazard has been here for now, what, three years? He has never played a minute in a Classico. Yeah, I mean, but that's not even surprised anymore. <laughs> I know, I know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's not I, I did not say surprised, I just started. said sad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty devastating, honestly. Um, but yes, I agree, I agree with the Luka Jovic point. Like, yeah, I, it was I weird. have absolutely no I idea thought, why. I thought he was, like, injured. I, I, I 
look back to see like games he's played recently and he really hasn't played any games in like the last month and a half or something. Um, and I thought maybe it was injury, but I don't think so. I think he's just literally not played and correct. Enchilada is playing the same players every single game. So um, it's weird. It's a weird one. Uh, it, it's, it could put them in a really tough spot getting to the end of this season here. Uh, now look, it, it's a nine point gap on Sevilla and 12 on Barcelona. Yep. With a game in hand, the game in hand. Um, I, I, I think Madrid will just about get there in the end. Um, but I could see them limp to the finish here, especially when you think about how many minutes, um, that guys like Benzema and, Modric have played this season you know those those are that's and and Cruz as well um it's a weird one that he has not rotated more especially with the with the gap that they had just a couple weeks ago but anyway at least with with Liverpool or not Liverpool Madrid potentially kind of limping to the end of the season here and having this 4-0 loss um and a difficult tie against Chelsea coming up. Yeah. Uh, what do you think is the, the prospects of Ancelotti past this season if <laughs> they're to end with getting knocked out in the um, quarterfinals and kind of losing, losing the lead that they had, the big lead that they had coming to the end of the season and looking – in some ways like worse than Barcelona by the end of the yeah. season. You know, where, where do you think that leaves Ancelotti? Well, again, context, right? Remember how Ancelotti made his way back to Real Madrid. It was like a one-off conversation, I think with Florentino Perez and a couple of people, maybe Ancelotti himself saying, Oh, who do we bring in as a manager? Now that Zidane is gone. Um, you know, what kind of names? Oh, Oh, Ancelotti. Oh, Oh yeah. He, he's at Everton. Yeah. Yeah, let's do that. That 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 could work. Um, and that's how he basically ended up back um, to like an ex that he hasn't seen in a while. Probably not the most healthy relationship, but it'll do for now. So there have been a lot of people in Madrid that I think have been upset with Ancelotti, <laughs> like just generally unhappy, not like mad or want him sacked. Maybe I think that might be a stretch, but like just not necessarily happy with the way that he's playing. And I think a large part of that is due to like his formation and his style of play. Like he is very much kind of started to favor this lower block and a little bit more of a defensive, less progressive structure and relying a little bit more on the counter attack. And he said this actually about Vinicius when he was asked in a press conference, he basically said, um, you know, we, we want to play with, Vinicius because he's like he's like a, a motor engine or like a motorbike like he's he's really fast right and like we, why wouldn't we want to play like that and then you see how he reverts to like this attempt at playing a false nine and playing more progressively in a classico and like it just fails miserably and you kind of understand why he needs to play that way especially without Benzema so to answer your question where does this leave Ancelotti kind of after the season I think there's a there's a 60 40 chance you probably don't see him in in the Real Madrid job again context is important because about 11 days before the Clasico they did knock out PSG but for three quarters of that game they were overrun so like context matters I still I still think that Madrid probably won't be too happy with his style of play I think he's probably gone the summer and maybe just maybe we see someone like Raul come in and coach the team someone who's coaching the youth system or the youth team in Real Madrid. Well, if I remember correctly, Zidane was also coaching, was coaching uh, Castilla before he, he was. Before yep. he, so, so like I, it's, yes, it would feel like another vibesy <laughs> appointment, but yeah, he does have experience coaching. He has more experience than um, Andrea Pirlo or Frank Lampard had in their first job. So so yeah, but um, yes, I love I love comparing to Frank Lampard. That story never ends. But anyway, um, <laughs> gosh, actually, Rian, let me ask you a question. Last question about Real Madrid because it relates to Chelsea. 
how are you feeling about the upcoming quarterfinal tie? Um, Cause I feel like your answer might've been different before the classico versus <laughs> versus now. Um, well, I, I would have always thought that they were considerably worse without Benzema, but again, didn't, For expect, sure. them, didn't expect them to look like they just couldn't stop any t- a team from putting like six straight passes together. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, I, I, I still think before that game, before Benzema, um, before Benzema's injury, I would have said, and I texted you this as well, like this is basically the same Real Madrid team as last season. And, and they have the only players that have gotten better, you would say is probably, uh, is definitely Vinicius and that I wouldn't even say Benzema has gotten better. I think he's just still at an extremely high level. Like, and outside of that, Luka Modric's still playing amazingly, but he's older, and and Tony Cruz is also older, and I think his lack of mobility is um, is becoming a bit more of a liability for them. Well, not just him, but I think him and Modric as a pair, their definitely kind of waning mobility is 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 just more of a liability now. And and we saw in the, against over two legs last season in the semifinal how much more like fast Chelsea looked, I think, compared to Real Madrid. And not just fast in terms of running speed, but movement. Movement, <laughs> movement and the ball and like the passes and and just very easily getting through Madrid. Um and I, I think these are basically the same teams. And you know, Chelsea in theory have gotten better with Romelu Lukaku with having Romelu Lukaku as an option. But I think maybe more importantly, what we've seen over the last four to five weeks is Kai Havertz is is has gotten better, has gotten a lot better too. And the, and the team is starting to look in the attacking phase um, more cohesive than I think they even did last season around this time. So definitely, definitely, yeah. I I think before the Classico, I would have said this is straight. This is just a toss up. Like, I really thought it was a toss-up. I mean, especially with Benzema. And we didn't see a Classico with Benzema. But after the Classico, I realized that their biggest flaw is not, like, what they're going to do post-Benzema. It's, like, what they're going to do around this midfield structure in a year, two years, three years. I have no idea what it's going to look like. Because thank God they have Kamavinga, because I think he's a brilliant player. But (laughs) without – they just look devoid of – energy to compete at the highest level in Europe. And I think we saw that against PSG too. Like, let's not forget, like we highlight Modric's run for, you know, the second goal, but I mean, let's be honest, they were overrun again for like 75% of that that tie. So I, I'm again, definitely favoring Chelsea a little bit. Um, The Benzema X factor will always like, you just never know, but Chelsea, I think do have that brand. Look, over again it's only two games so like individual performances can get can kind of um heavily weight the the result here so even last season i think in that in that first leg where i thought chelsea completely outplayed real madrid and that game still ended 1-1 because benzema just made some magic happen off of a corner kick so it's it can happen for sure um and it helps that he's got this great relationship with Vinicius now. So, look, they're so dangerous. Especially, especially one where he's not telling people that uh, Vinicius is playing against them. Yeah. And look, we know exactly <laughs> how this game is going to go. That first leg, they're probably going to set up very similarly to how they played against PSG in the first leg. And 100%. just try to frustrate Chelsea and hit on the counter. And look, that's, that is up to Chelsea to be able to, to get through it. Right. And, and that is just how Ancelotti is going to play this. I, I'd be really surprised if it, if they played any differently than they did in, um, in, in Paris in that first leg. So speaking of champions league, Elias, and speaking of athletic uh, Madrid team, I should say <laughs> we got Atletico Madrid who drew Manchester city in the champions league. I'll throw this to you what's your i'm curious what's your percentage chance percentage 
um, chance for Atletico to beat Manchester City for, in your opinion? I'm just going to give you a number and I'll explain in a second. I'm going to go with 30%. And I think that's probably higher than most people will say, but this tie reminds me a lot of Atletico versus Bayern a couple of years ago, maybe five years ago in, in the Champions League, something like that, where I think it was the semifinals or the quarter. I forget. I think it was the semifinals where Bayern dominated Atletico um, away from home. And one magical, beautiful Sal Niguez run um, absolutely tore the entire team apart. Having watched what Atletico did at United, where I didn't necessarily think that they were the better team for the whole game. I think they had, you know, spurts and chances. Their chances were very good. And I think they're going to have a lot more difficulty against or against City, like, obviously. but. I think where city's flaws are is especially exposing themselves on the counter with some combination of Jao Felix, Antoine Griezmann and Hal Correa, whatever it might be coming at them, I think could actually lead to one or two really good chances over this tie that city could live to regret. Now, again, I'm still saying there's 70% chance that city go through, but I think there's a reason to believe it's not going to be a blowout. Yeah. You know, I'm, I have them at like a 40% chance. So like I'm oh. with you. I, I'm like I'm okay. with you in terms of like I, I feel not just feel I the team has been better recently. Like Atletico has played much better in the last month, right? And a lot of that has to do with Ujra Felix not only finally getting a chance to actually play more than one game in a row, <laughs> he's played really well and he's combined extremely well recently with uh Griezmann. Right. So I, I think they can frustrate Manchester, Manchester City. Of course, like this is a, this is Atletico Madrid. This is Diego Simeone. They have, they're great at frustrating their opponents. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> it's really all about can they break with speed is is the most important thing when you're playing against Manchester City. We've seen in there's only a couple games where they struggle a year, but like in in those couple of games, which has been um, the, both matches against Spurs and um, their one match against Crystal Palace, both teams have a lot of pace in transition, and that's really going to be the X factor. I don't know who that's going to come from with Atletico because you would expect that Joao Felix is the guy who's dropping and helping to play balls in behind for for other players, but. You know that that's really the that's really the thing. I, I'm not I'm not sure where the pace is going to come from, but if they get Carrasco back um, in time, which I'm not sure they will right now. At least you might know better than I. But um, it, it, he'll be really important. But they need they're going to need pace. <laughs> they're going to need some pace. So I've almost talked myself down to thirty percent. I think I'm at thirty percent now after after that. <laughs> so you're just in alignment with me. Okay. All right. Yeah. So. Well, I'm glad we cleared that up. So you want to take a break and uh, then we can talk about the other teams in Europe, a.k.a. England? Yeah. Let's hit All it. right, let's, let's do that. <laughs> All right, Rian, let's talk a little bit about the Prem. Title race on? as it always was. I'm always going to constantly remind you of that. But, of course, the title race is on. There's one point between Liverpool and City at the top of the table. Liverpool, of course, beating Arsenal 2-0. Um, very, uh, I feel like a game where Arsenal deserved a little bit better. I think I predicted 2-1 as the final score. I think Arsenal should have walked away with something from that game based on the way that they played. But, Let's dive into kind of Liverpool and even that Arsenal game too. What were you more impressed by? Like how difficult Arsenal made the game for Liverpool? Or maybe maybe we'll start there. What were you actually, what were you most impressed by? Because I, I, I just feel like Arsenal were, were a good side in this. Yeah, I, look, that first half went like, not too far off of what I – 
what I thought like would have been best case scenario for Arsenal, where they made it, they pressed Liverpool really, really well, and put Trent Alexander Arnold in one v one situations against yeah. Mar- Martinelli, like as much as they could. Like that was that was obviously the best, <laughs> their best way of getting forward. Like just and, and you know they did isolate him a lot, which is which is a little disappointing i think for i think liverpool will be a bit disappointed in how they defended that but a lot of times too martinelli literally was dribbling through three or four players so you kind of have to tip your hat to him there but um i think it was it was really impressive from arsenal like in general that game was it what's it the odegaard chance early in the second half right before um liverpool score where he kind of gets in like an all, almost a one v one, and um just can't quite get away from Allison, and and uh, Allison does really well to recover, and um I think it was it was Lacazette that laid off that laid the ball off for Odegaard, so it was impressive from Arsenal, and they didn't play poorly. I think that gave honestly like psychologically means more for Arsenal. Like you know Liverpool needed the win just to get closer to City, of course, but. Um, psychologically for Arsenal, I think they come out of that game feeling really good about themselves, and they did by winning on the weekend. But um, yeah, I, I think they have to be feeling really good about their team going forward. Still, like, oh, definitely. I mean, I think Martinelli said it after the game, or maybe he said it recently, but I think their goal is top four, and the goal for next season is the Champions League, which slow down, but I think there's, there's an element of confidence in that, that we hadn't seen before. And I think why it's important is because you're talking about a team that a year ago couldn't have even thought about getting in the top four. And now you're talking about a team that is playing teams that are in the quarterfinals and favorites to win the Champions League and really, really going for them. So in the same way that I think Barcelona are on this upward trajectory, so are Arsenal. And it's it's very, very refreshing to see. Arsenal themselves, I mean, this past weekend, um, I, I believe they played at Villa Park, right? Not yeah. at home. I think they were at Villa Park. So um, beating Villa 1-0. Um, do, you, do you want to mention the Ashley Young stuff? Or... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it, was, it was hilarious. Yeah, Arsenal. <laughs> Arsenal got their sixth win in seven games. Um, they, it was a hard-fought game against Villa, as as it is most of the time now, especially um, since Steven Gerrard has come. And also, Aaron Ramsdale couldn't play in the game because of, I think, a knock that he picked up um, in the second half against Liverpool. And so Burt Leno was starting, and, you know, he made a few crucial saves, and... I think the last play of the game was um, he like punched a cross away um, or a free kick away that Aston Villa had. And the, the Arsenal team ran over to him, gave him a big hug, like a, a huge group hug. And then they were all really happy about it. And so naturally, Ashley Young was salty as hell and went um, to the media after the game when he was doing his post-match stuff, uh, kind of criticizing Arsenal for celebrating uh, I think he might have said celebrating like it's a Champions League that they won the Champions like League. they won the league. I think yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> it's just it's just salt. I mean, it's stupid. Like there, obviously there are levels to these to the excitement. Like it was really just being happy for um Burton Leno. I think more than anything else. And then obviously like you know, Arsenal are have not played in the Champions League for what five years now? Five, seasons? five or six years. Yeah, like. Yeah, these games matter a lot. Like winning these games and, and what they mean in terms of keeping them in the top four. Yeah, they matter a lot. So <laughs> it, they're not Champions League finals, but pretty much for from this point until the end of the season, they have to treat all of these games like finals because the margins are so thin right now to get into the top four. Definitely, definitely. And uh, I really forgot, not going to lie, that Ashley Young even like actively plays for the side like he i think he's started like almost 20 games 19 games for for them um for villa so 
I mean, he's like 36 and just, I, yeah, I don't even, uh, he, I'm, he's not gonna get any more time on the podcast. Moving on. Um, <laughs> Rian, let's talk about Arsenal's rivals. Let's talk about Spurs back-to-back wins against Brighton versus West Ham. So they broke their streak of loss, win, loss, win, loss, win, and went two wins in a row. Arsenal are now on 54 points with 28 played Spurs 51 with 29 played United one point behind with 50 same number of games played 29 and West Ham on 48 with 30 games played. So you would think that a team that has, that is two points behind the sixth place team with the sixth place team having two games in hand probably puts them out of contention for the top four, right? I mean, as as it is to say, I feel like that's fair. Yeah, yeah, for for West Ham, yeah, I think so. It, it gets they're always going up a really uphill battle, right? Like considering the clubs that they're up against here. But I think what's been most important or more important in terms of just um honestly like uh I guess feeling in with the fans uh their Europa League run has been fantastic like they outplayed Sevilla they they outplayed Sevilla um in the second leg and were able to get a win and now they're into the quarterfinals against Lyon and potentially two games away from playing being favored Barcelona in the in the in the semifinals so I I think they're out of it for a Champions League contention but Look at their season on a whole. They've been close the entire season like, while playing Europa League games as well. I think that's really, really impressive. You usually expect these teams when they have those um, Europa League games when they're, and they're not one of the clubs that <laughs> expects to be in the Champions League. Um, they usually suffer in the league like a lot from having to play uh, Thursday to Saturday, Thursday to Sunday. So, Also, this is, I'll, I'll stress this too, West Ham are coming off of one of the most historic nights in Europe, you know, knocking out Sevilla in extra time at home. The in the Sevilla Cup, in yeah, in the Sevilla <laughs> Cup, essentially. Um, so yeah, I think on the whole, they've already had an incredible season. I agree. Yeah, and, and look, that was like really, really impressive. Really impressed by how well they played against Sevilla. Um, I mean, Sevilla are going through their own issues, right? right now recently slow lethargic missing five players i can name off the top of my head yeah it's not pretty (laughs) yeah but um that's a great result for west ham and um i i think no matter what happens with this season and look they still have a great shot at finishing seventh here and um and and i mean they have a great shot still finishing six honestly they could still finish above manchester united um or tottenham realistically I, i don't think they can catch arsenal but they could finish above, I think, either the two teams above them by the end of the season. But yeah, they've they've had a great season, like no matter almost no matter what. Um and and punishing well above their weight, honestly. Um, in terms of the last two seasons at least when you put them together. So I have I have one question for you before we go on to other things. Declan Rice. Um I, I wanna I want to get your thoughts on where you see him next season because Apparently West Ham have slapped a stupid price tag, yeah, on him, yeah. Um, which just won't be being met by anybody. Yeah, yeah. Um, but obviously he's been a massive Chelsea target. So after the again solid season that I believe he's been having, do you do you see him still being a Chelsea target uh, by the time the summer comes? I, I, I it's hard to say with you know what's going on with the club. Um, they're obviously still trying to figure out the ownership situation, which might wrap up sometime in the next couple of weeks. But um, I don't think Declan Rice is close is close to worth 150 million. Of course, like who is <laughs> who's worth that? <laughs> There's maybe two players in the world, like two to three players in the world. But yeah. um, no, I I think more likely than not, he does leave in the summer. And um, West Ham knows that they're not getting 150 million for him. Um, <laughs> but uh, in terms of the Chelsea part of it, I there's there's a there's kind of a backlog at midfield 
when you think about the potential players that are coming back from loan next season and um, Gilmore, Billy Gilmore and, and Connor Gallagher, who's been really, really good for Crystal Palace. Um, yeah, it, it really depends on, I think, what happens with Jorginho. I don't know. And I don't know. I don't know what's going to I think he has one. I want to say he has one year left on his contract after this season. So it, I think a lot of it depends on that. Um, and I would still personally rather see the team go after uh, Chua Many, but um, well, yeah, that's a good show. We'll, we'll yeah. talk about that another time. That's a good yeah. show, but continue. <laughs> um, but no, no, I think that's that's pretty much it. Yeah, Tottenham, Ta- Manchester United still have obviously have a chance. Arsenal just hasn't came up on either of them, and uh, you know, Tottenham does still have to play Arsenal at some point. That game hasn't been rescheduled, and, and Arsenal still have to play Chelsea. Um, so Arsenal still have to be sitting, I think, as favorites right now. Um, finished in fourth, and Tottenham and United are gonna need help. I mean, Tottenham are just gonna have to beat Arsenal no matter what, I think, as well. So, um, from there, at least we go further down the table where a couple teams around relegation got uh, got a little bit of breathing room. <laughs> A little bit, but also, I mean, we're talking about an Everton side that was slapped by Palace four nil, like not seventy two hours later. I don't know. Yeah, like also that. true. So, That's also true. So a little, a little bit of breathing room, yes, in the league. Um, Jesse Marsh, I think this this man only knows American style crazy wins, um, which honestly, happy for him. Why not? So I'm very, very happy that he squeaked out another win. Um, while I think Everton at the same time, just like Everton are more interesting case to me versus Leeds, quite honestly, mainly because like, I feel like their biggest problem is more abstract. It's more mental and psychological because you had, I think it was Lampard basically call his team out. Like after the palace game, I'm pretty sure for just being weak and just not good. And (laughs) That is a problem, but yes, nonetheless, they both got wins in the league. So, you want yeah. to start with Leeds? Yeah, Le- yeah, from Leeds once again, um, just a crazy win. They down two nil at half against Wolves. Um, looking, yeah, again, where kind of just completely off the pace of another Premier League team. Um, they get some help in the second half with Raul Jimenez getting sent off. Uh, the second yellow card is kind of debatable, but um, he's running into the goalkeeper, but it, it, it happens, you know, referee decisions, blah, blah, blah. But the way that Leeds are still able to create chances, I know it's against 10 men, but the team does create, chances um i think that's been the most consistent thing for them on the defensive side it's been much much tougher like in both of these crazy wins they put up an xg of 2.7 against norwich and then 2.2 against wolves and they were honestly kind of hard done in their first couple games under Varge where they just couldn't finish so it's Maybe it's like some regression to the mean stuff happening here in just really weird ways in these last two games. But they're seven points off of um, or away from 18th now. And granted, they have, I believe it's Watford that has a game in hand. But they're, they're, these are really only like, I want to say like five or six more points, I think, from being relatively safe. Um, it's the Everton side that's yeah, way more precarious. And I know they have several games in hand as well, but like doesn't necessarily change the fact that those games could go terribly. Yeah. Um, depending on basically, I feel like how Frank Lampard wakes up in the morning and decides <laughs> on match day how he'd like the game to go. So they've been categorically yeah. worse than Leeds. Like, it, so yeah. it, it's hard to see them. Um, Again, more than just, like I said before, like there's too much talent on that team to finish um, 
even you this call them now? essentially too big to fail and i don't I, yeah i'm not convinced that that's necessarily the no, case no yeah yeah i don't i i don't think so either i i, th- I don't think so anymore either <laughs> like really like i i just don't think i don't think that they know how to play together just yet and i don't know if that's anyone's fault it's just not feasible i mean i, I think the players i think the players are also not as good as i thought really. like i mean I don't, not I mean, all of them look, look, not, look, all not, of them. not not talk not all of them not all of them I, i'm not i'm not talking about like richarlison i'm not talking about calvert lewin um i'm not even talking about pickford i i think the <laughs> at least making a face after saying pickford <laughs> but um no i i i think michael Keane is way worse than i than i thought he was honestly Fair. um <laughs> I think that selling Luca Dean, Luca Dinier, when um, you were going to yeah. sack, when, when there was a possibility that you would sack the same manager that wanted to sell him a week later, that was probably really stupid. Yeah, <laughs> like, uh, that, that, that was probably one of the really, worst really of the dumb. season. I mean, and he's just, probably feeling great, but yeah. Guys like John, John Joe Kenny is, is now starting there who would have had no chance to start in this team <laughs> like, four, like four months ago. So that's there's there's terrible decisions being made from like board level like for this team. like it's it's really deep their their problems um so i've been there <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it's it's not <laughs> that far off and, and they're and they're coming into their own issues financially now obviously with um the i can't remember the i think it's usmanov um who's a russian russian oligarch who uh, has had a pretty lucrative sponsorship with Everton that they've had to obviously discontinue. Um, plus, just yeah, there's just some some um, really poor decisions in the last like five to six years while spending a lot of money on players. Uh, so it's really really looking grim for Everton. But I, for whatever reason, I still think I still think they'll stay up. I'm going to keep thinking that they're going to stay up until literally the final day. So this is, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like, I'm never, I'm not going to be able, it's not going to set in until, um, until the 90th minute of the final day of the season. I mean, I think you're still in the mindset of that. They're too big to fail. I don't know if I go so far, but I'll let, I, I mean, I'll let it's not even, it. it's just mentally, I can't get there. And also I just, just like, they're better than Watford on paper i guess but like they're they're better than watford in general like this season they've been better than watford even with how yeah. terrible everton have been like they they played better than watford and burnley so yep super fair super fair well rian i think we both are of the opinion that we're bullish on leeds and bearish on everton even if they stay up but with that i think that wraps up everything you want to talk about unless there any other Chelsea being bought out updates that <laughs> no, no, nothing more. <laughs> Apparently a short, the short list of bidders is supposed to be announced sometime this week. Um, I Sorry. When you said short list of bidders, I heard like, I, I thought you're contextualizing like bitter people and you were just calling <laughs> them bitters, but continue. I just heard that. Right. No, 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 that that's it. Um, and who knows? I, Obviously, the club would like to get to get the sale hap- done as quickly as possible, but who knows when? I would my guess is sometime in with, between now and the end of April. But um, yeah, I think that's it. Look, we got we got some three games for the U.S. men's soccer team to get to the World Cup. They need four points, pretty much, in from three, three games, games. You you would think that's possible. That's but... that's it. I I, I I'm. I wouldn't say cautiously, op- cautiously optimistic, like cautiously, um, not c- too concerned in either way, if that makes sense. Like, like, like I don't feel any different. Ambivalent. Yeah, yeah, almost ambivalent. Like, I, I feel the same way I felt about this team at the end of the last um, window. And granted, now this team is missing Weston McKenney and Brendan Aronson. Uh, and Sergio Dest in this game, but they do get back a healthy in form, Kristen Pulisic and a healthy Gio Reyna. So we'll see. We'll see. I, 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 I'm cautiously not 
totally afraid. <laughs> Talk about treading the line. Oh my <laughs> anyway, I'm Zen. Right. I'm pretty Zen. Use whatever words you want, man. Uh, whatever helps you sleep better at night. <laughs> but I'm going to let you go. Um, we'll, of course, be back next week. After some of the international games and the club football comes back, we'll uh, honestly just check Rion's Twitter every 24 hours for U.S. men's national team updates um, where you can get a sanity check on where he's at. So with that, we'll take a break. Well, actually, we'll round it out. I think that's the end. And we will talk to you guys next week. Thanks, guys. Thank you.